0: Hey hey everybody. Welcome to this installment of Labor. The podcast brought to you by the Caribbean. This episode took us back to Brooklyn where uh, we convened again at Splitty, a cool bar co-owned by our uh, our good friend John Philpot of the band Baron Heaven. If you're ever up in uh Fort Green check it out you'll uh, you'll dig it it's a uh, it's cool we met with uh, with Heba Kadri, the uh, the very fine engineer who mastered moon sickness our upcoming record that'll be out on home tapes this fall throughout the mastering process we were in contact with her regularly but only uh only by email you know remotely uh but after hearing the uh the job she did on the mastering in addition to you know experiencing what a pleasant responsible person she is to work with we we couldn't wait to meet her in person and we were all looking forward to to getting together at uh, at Splitty with her and 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 talking about music basically and and getting to know each other in person, and uh, you know we weren't surprised when we discovered she's she's just as delightful in person as uh, as she was uh, remotely. You know during uh, during the time she was she was working on on the mastering. We talked about mastering the, uh, the dark art at length and, uh, and any other topics that, uh, that popped into our, our head as well, how we discovered uh, music, you know, ourselves growing up, how our tastes developed, how we developed notions of, of, of what is good music and, uh, and, and meaningful art. We talked about Beck, Fleetwood Mac, and a raft of other topics, really. The, uh, one note about the audio on this episode. We, uh, we were hanging at Splitty, like I said, and... And all the, uh, the attendant ambient noise is, uh, is there. They, uh, they were playing music, but, uh... But mostly, kind of, kind of cool techno jams. Really, you'll hear the occasional bus go by. You'll hear the occasional cocktail shaker shake. But uh, but you know it all. It all kind of kind of adds up, really. So uh, it works. So why don't you uh, why don't you do the same while you're while you're listening? Shake yourself a cocktail enjoy the uh, the cool techno jams and uh, and, and do enjoy this uh, conversation with the Caribbean and, and have a cadre. So where's your gig? Where's your job?
1: I Where have a about?
2: studio uh, with my studio partner Adrian um, on North 12th and Kent. Um, it's this really strange building in i mean it's kind of hard to yeah, describe it used to be a texaco building i think in the 50s and it's like these giant oil tankers that are in the lot but they're they're defunct now they're not operating but it's now this giant lot with giant massive tankers and like all these trucks and lorries like the like park it's just this weird depot yeah. and so what's
3: the building the building is the old like i, I don't know what it's
2: called. i mean it's one more twelve um but it's, it used to be a textbook
3: you have access to the tankers, I maybe mean, you have a giant reefer tank?
2: <laughs> I wish, uh, no. Yeah. They're, they're really very uh, uh, crazy hyper about people getting close to- Well, they're probably
1: toxic.
2: Yeah, time. extremely yeah. toxic. And they're, they're I mean, they're, it's right on the water, so it's like, the view on the rooftop is so amazing, but it's extremely like off-limits, like are, they are very, um, I think there's some kind of crazy liability or you know somebody fell off or something yeah Yeah. but uh but yeah anyway so we have like a studio in there and it's like this really bizarre kind of cast of characters that all have studios in there as well um and it's this really odd building but it's pretty awesome of course, freaks of
1: marijuana. Like, and how long? Have you two. It it's just you two who are doing. Me and Adrian now. Yeah. And was he at the lodge too?
2: No, no. Um, Adrian actually started Timeless, um, oh. and then I joined.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. When did you join?
2: I actually joined earlier this year.
3: I know it was recently. Very recent. Lodge recently. For yeah. year. And what's what's different about your gig at Timeless?
2: Um, well, I, I you know I'm a partner and, and it's my thing and right. and you know it's, it's, you know you have complete control over. You know, the kind of gear that you want and you know, you who you want to work with and right. hours that you make and sure. you know, it's pretty pretty nice. I mean of course it comes with a lot of like you know
4: the the responsibility the stress. and
2: the sure. stress of doing stress. your own thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it's good stress. Yeah. You know? It's good to Well you. that
1: can't really it can really motivate you. I mean yeah. I've done that enough like where it turned me into a real optimist and blue sky thinker you know like yeah, it's gonna be okay so something's gonna work out it's gonna all be gonna fine and it kind of rubs yeah. off in all parts of your life yeah it really I mean I don't know if you've had an yeah. experience but like no
2: I mean so far it's been like a lot of bumps in the road but like everything sort of worked out and it's, it's working out and it's like you know um of course I I you know I had a lot of trepidation at the beginning because I was like oh shit like I'm branching out on my own are people still gonna work with me but it's like it's been even better because it's just you know you putting yourself out there and you're. You're like,
3: right, established. Yeah, quite yeah. And
2: that's always hard. Yeah.
3: But now, any are there any things that you did in the lodge that you didn't like that you don't do anymore? Like stuff that like you've got to kind of focus more on what you like to do, or I mean, you just I mean, you managed. I, manag- I managed yeah I managed
2: the lodge for years, um, and then sort of a couple months before I you know, left the lodge, I was, you know, finally engineering full time, and it was pretty, you know, a lot of responsibility, of course, and a lot of hours spent in the studio, but, I mean, I pretty much do the same thing, you know, it's like...
3: That's what you wanted to do. Yeah. You, you wanted to engineer. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah right, of course. Right, right.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah, you just kind of get sucked, you know, it's like, this is the thing with studios, is like, I always tell, like, all these kids that just come out of audio school, it's like... It's not enough to just be a good audio engineer, like, you, you know, especially in these, you know, the, the, there, how many studios are left in the world now, it's just like less and less, and, and they are like popping up again, and there's like this sort of resurgence, but it's like, have to be like a jack of all trades and you have to know like how to be a people person and how to like write invoices and be a good pr- business person no.
0: <laughs> and what and put the time in it's not a nine to five proposition yeah, you have to be willing a, to put yeah, in the hours there's
2: no like job description it's right like, all right this is what you do No. it's like all right, what else can I do? <laughs> right, right,
1: right, right, Well, it's funny. It's a constant. It's something we talk about because, you know, we're, old, we're a little bit older. Yeah. So, like, it's something you're always impressed by is somebody who does have people skills and is, like, a go-getter. Yeah. Ooh, at a bar, even, you know, the, recently, and, you know, this bartender is just apathetic, man. I mean, he, he got it done eventually. It wasn't so much that. It was just like... You'll forgive anything as a customer in any sort of industry or service yeah. industry if somebody's like apologetic and like energetic and positive and you know it's it's a it's a basic skill that really applies across like industries.
2: And and like being an engineer is like you're like a therapist, you know. It's sure. Like you're
4: you're yes. dealing
2: with people, babies that they've worked on and toiled and yeah. blood sweat and tears for. I mean, you guys know it's like. you the making of an album is like, you're pouring your heart and soul, and it's like when you're finally handing off this baby, and you're like, oh, okay, take care of my child, you know, and you're like, okay, don't worry, they're, you know, safe hands.
3: Well, there's no question about that. Of course, you had the extra. Burn, if that's the word. I'm telling you, not only our owner was Chad's, and, you know, we're all like, oh. <laughs> but, But one of the things that it was immediate, aside from Chad's endorsement, is our friend, Chad Clark, who's our producer, and mixes all of our records, his endorsement, his his confidence in you, he was excited about it. Was it almost immediately, and I can't tell you, you may know how rare this is, the communication, back and forth response to questions or just updates, Matt, because it's, it's not enough that well, anywhere, but in music. Itself. Oh, and music, it's, and it was, it's rare as the dodo bird. Right. And that was like, the first good sign. Like, you know, you were, you were no doubt. a grown up. No doubt. You know, were just a good, you know, whether you were a good engineer or not, you were a grown up. And then, um, and then you said something and you were talking about some audio stuff. And I read it, and in a weird way, it sounded like Chad the way he described stuff. And I don't even totally understand it necessarily, but it put me at ease. Like you spoke a similar, a similar, a similar sort of language. Yeah. You articulated things in a similar way.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, so I kind of knew. Let's put it this way, I wasn't surprised when the result came, but we were really we loved it. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised because you had you 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 proven your adult. <laughs> and... and you had, you had you you describe things in this way that I can't describe but Chad does not and it always makes like, me feel very cozy about the project. Was, a
4: lot
2: like, of engineers are like that actually. It's like it's it's uh you start seeing uh, audio and and gear in this way that's like very tangible and expressive and and, and you know it's like you know, like if a band sends me an email and they're like and and this has actually happened where right? they're like, Alright, we want this song to sound like you're walking on the like, grass, green grass, barefoot, freshly chopped. And you're like, Alright man, I
4: got I gotta plug you. <laughs> <for> you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I got you. So it's like, you know, music is extremely I mean it's like a very emotive thing and it's like Hard to describe sometimes, like what what you know a song makes you feel or what it's trying to do, and it's like same thing with audio. It's like you know, it's it's uh you kind of learn to like see see uh see the you know music in colors. You know?
4: Oh, yeah. uh,
1: we're very. I mean, Michael and I, in particular, I think are very visual with that stuff. I sometimes I get bored with a song, not just ours, any of them, because it just looks to me really dull. Yeah. Like it's like, uh, guitar, bass, yeah. you know, vocals, uh, uh, you know, but, I mean, speaking of it, something that's the opposite of that is, again, battles, like Dean was just here, and I mean, it's not like that at all, like, yeah. oh, it's like fireworks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so the visual component is huge, yeah. and uh, probably at times is super the. Auditory.
2: Yeah. Isn't there a word for somebody that sees? Uh,
1: there is. Music is
3: colors. Music is,
2: synesthesia.
3: Like, that's yes, yeah, synesthesia. Yeah. Is, yeah. The, is the syndrome? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, well, and, and synesthesia or not, i synesthesia or not. I, I've always went just I've worked with Chad long enough, and I any production chops or any st- I I stole. Yeah, I stole of shoulder, you know. Um, I got to a performer because he had it, and I knew he would work with the same program, but also, yeah. I literally watched him, and he encouraged that, but, um, I've always thought that what made him a good mixer was that he saw the sound field, yeah. and what made him an, a good mastering engineer was, a, was, a, was actually, and he explained it to me when he was mastering a couple records ago, um, and... I mean, it is it is is a mysterious art form. I understand mixing. (laughs) I do rough mixes okay, and they're fine. You know, I wouldn't, but, you know, but mastering. And I've sat there while Chad is mastering.
4: Yeah.
3: And I've watched every second of it. And, you know, I'll be like, all right, you know, we have to take these transients. They're up here. We gotta, you know, (laughs) say, like, you know. But, but, but it does help me actually understand, even though I don't fully, I couldn't do it. and when you sent it, you sent it it was just in that kind of language. And mastering is especially tricky because it really is so not well understood outside. I was going to say nobody knows what outside the hell of the community. We like it.
2: to keep it that way.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It, no, I, I really, truly think it's something that <laughs> most. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a very specific skill set. It is, yeah.
2: <laughs> it, I, I it absolutely is.
3: And I think it's something that it may be even something that's kind of like science, God-given. Like you, people who are just wired to be mastering engineers. Yeah. And people like me were not. Yeah. And
0: and I'm in the majority, you know. Yeah. Well, how uh, how did you develop your chops?
2: Um, just years. I mean, it's like I prior to being a master engineer, I was a recording engineer. I used to work at this. Amazing recording studio in Texas called Sugar Hill Recording Studios. It's like this uh, What it called? Sugar Hill. It's like very it's like in Houston, Texas, which is like, you know, nobody really thinks of Houston as much of a musical city, but it's one of supposedly the oldest continuously operating studios in the country. But people don't know about it just because it's in Houston. But it's like where a lot of like the psychedelic Tex-Mex stuff happened. Like oh, cool. thirteen floor elevators, right. Douglas Ted, Red Ruella, all that shit like, went down there.
3: The Astros. Bubble Puppy, a bit?
2: Bubble Puppy. With, yeah, oh, oh, yeah they, were, they were there as well with little feet. Like it's a pretty incredible studio with some amazing history. And I had the absolute honor of working at this awesome place and it was like, a really um, great place to like learn. O- you know, you come out of audio school, you still don't understand anything. It's like you still don't understand what a compressor really sounds like. You know, it's like you go in there, you learn this, this barrage of information about like signal chain and you know what a preamp does, but it's like you really don't truly understand until you apply yourself. Um, and uh, how I got into mastering was kind of unique in the sense. I don't know. I just like the well Sugar Lot had a sister company that was a master facility called Central Sound it was in the same building. Um, and you know, I think it's pretty decent work and
0: Did it reek of marijuana there too?
2: No, no. It was pretty, you know, straight up, you know, clean, you know. I uh-huh. know. You know, really you know, good, <laughs> you know clean sober people. <laughs> I your word for it, I don't see it, but
4: okay,
2: Um, But uh, anyway, so uh, there was this mastering facility there, and I just kind of got intrigued by like, what the hell is mastering? Like, I know I have to do it once I'm done mixing a record, like, what exactly is it? And it was, I don't know, it just kind of like appealed to me in a way that like, I was still like young, and I was recording, you know, I kind of hated mixing, I wasn't particularly good at it, I didn't even spend enough time doing it learning the art of how to become a mixing engineer but I knew that it frustrated me a lot because I was I would get really hung up on specific sounds and frequencies and like not being able to like achieve that and I'd be like oh man why can't I become that person Um, and I just kind of dipped my toe in mastery, and it was like a light bulb went up you know and it was like this sounds pretty nice to me and so I decided to move to New York and that's kind of how I What
3: about if you I mean I it was a mixing, I one thing you liked about it. What did you like about it? what when you, you first kind of were introduced to mastering, what about it, it was just what set the light off? What
2: I think you remember the that the, moment? the idea of like Whoa, I like I don't even understand what this is and I wanna know more. Like what is uh-huh.
3: this? It's a like, dark arts. It's, it's kind yeah. of a
2: dark ninja oh, art and like
3: been cauldron. There yeah. was
2: also all mastering engineers that I meet were just so people yeah. Like, I was like, what is your steeze, man? Like, why? <laughs>
4: well,
2: why are you so calm? I want to be you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of all fell into place, and I, I uh, I kind of, like, started doing it, and, and it was like, you know, it took me a long time until I finally felt like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm starting to get this, and, and, uh. And it's starting to all like click into place and I'm getting and I'm making things sound good and it's very stimulating and it's very rewarding and uh, and then I don't know, just started wanting to work with me more and I was like, well, I guess I going to make something, right?
0: What are, uh, what are three records that you would consider exceptionally well mastered? Aside from Overall, by the Caribbean, yes. Caribbean, of course. Yeah, um, yeah no, throughout, yeah, rock history.
2: Oh man, Sea Change by Beck. Oh, yeah, right. That yeah. album, it's a like. Yep. Every time I put it on, it's like, <laughs> fucking A, man. Like, sorry, I'm
1: just. I love really that.
0: dropping that. the curse
2: that. words.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I never no, really thought about like, the Rambler Master. I, mean, I, I, I can't wait nice, to hear it again.
3: It's yeah. beautiful. And, and that's not that, concept, that yeah. He did discover I love all of it. It's but
2: specifically, Sea Change is the pinnacle of like, everything so well perfectly balanced and present but still extremely warm and just so emotive like there's something so emotive about that that recording that it's just mind-blowing like, like every time i'm like i'm in a rut and i'm like how i can't make this sound good like i just put on sea change and it's like all right
1: golden age is an awesome song such it's a good opener oh like
2: just beautiful like from start to finish and you know, obviously through the sea change I got into Serge Gansborg, you know, the, the the record that was um what was that record? Nelson. Uh, Melody Nelson. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah that's a really cool
2: sound. Who? Nelson
3: Mel- Melody Nelson with Jim Hurley. Yeah, um and it was oh, just so oh,
2: Well oh. if you 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 know, if you listen to that record and then you listen to back, it's like you see the similarities like you can you can tell like Beck was extremely inspired by the record. Like the arrangements are like very very similar, but that record is also a beautiful sonic masterpiece. Oh, it's a the bass. The bass playing oh, is unspeakable. The Mid playing and the sound is yeah.
3: just like it's just chocolatey and. It's,
2: it's beautiful. Yeah, that's oh. a great sounding record. So
1: who who did uh, not to cut you off before you get to your third? But who who mastered Sea uh, Change?
2: Bob Ludwig. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, he he does a lot of Nigel Godrich's stuff. he'll so
1: be the ultimate guy for us to work with. Quarter a, yes. a million dollar budget.
2: I I had the uh, unbelievable pleasure of, of mastering a Nigel Godrich track that was remixed by Prefuse 73. Yeah, that was nice. that was the ultimate. I was like, this I I like I could die happy. Was that
1: because of Prefuse? I imagine because of. Uh, him or how did you look? Pre- yeah, him previews, yeah, I work with him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: sure. Yeah. He's another Guillermo,
4: his Guillermo yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Really interesting, very talented character. It's insane how talented this guy is. It's like a million thoughts a second and, you know, it's just, you know, the stuff that he comes up with, it's just like...
1: Do you know, um, Pelado Negro?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, I met Roberto, like, Maybe a month ago at a Jamaican Queens show. Oh, nice. Because I mastered their record. And uh, Roberto is also friends with Adrian, who's my studio partner. And he's also friends with Fair in Heaven and all these he people. He knows everybody. Yeah, and it's like, and we, you know, we're like Twitter friends and we finally physically met. Him. And I was like, finally, like we meet, you know, it's like.
1: He's a good dude.
2: Really, yeah. Very talented guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Sorry to distract anybody. Oh. Third record, go.
2: Uh Another really good sounding record that I love. Uh, Well, I mean, I love Tusk by Cleveland Mac. It's a
3: great, because I this is a this is a refrain I've heard before about that record. A record I've never really gotten into. But this is, I've heard this more and more in the last year or two Tusk to the point where I have to kind of... Get into it. it. Yeah. You know, I and, think
2: and, it's and, like one of those records that like, people are like, oh, I guess I, it's kind of like the cool record that everybody's talking about. It's constantly being re
0: and reassessed.
2: But it is... It
3: has the baggage of having the USC marching band, on it, which, is, which, is, which is baggage in some ways. It was because it was a gimmick. It seemed like a gimmick, and the, the whole stupid video with Stevie Nicks like trapezing on the field, and, like the cheerleader in the baton, and, like oh, it right. you know, like, seemed not not serious. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. You know, so and after rumors, which I think is a beautiful record. It's, yeah,
2: Rumors hard. is another gorgeous oh. sounding record, and it's funny. Like, um, I really want to read the book about the engineer that um, recorded and mixed it. I forget his name, but he wrote a book about the experience, and he's like, was like maybe one of the first record. I think it was like the first record he ever worked on. Like, he was just young, fresh dude, and, um, and he was so like naive and, and had very little experience that when he was getting the drum, like. The Sound. I think they were they worked like on it for like a week, and he only realized that in, you know the, he was just not getting the sounds that he wanted, and, and the reason why was because he was isolating, like he was working on the kick consistently for a very long time, and or the snare, and but he never really thought to like listen to it in context, like all together, that it was finally like oh you know, after a week of, like, you know, finally
3: the band was like, dude, do I need help? Like, should we recruit someone? But isn't it amazing, though, that it got to that point in the 70s where, a, you know? somebody, a train engineer would sit down and say, why isn't this working? And they never thought to listen to the whole kit together. You know? I mean, we, I might, I use the Glenn John's method. I use yeah. three mics. You know,
4: but it would never occur to me.
3: And I don't know, you know, that, that, that's how it got, where you might, you know, 15 mics on that set and you and each one that sounds good that sounds good that sounds good why does it sound like
4: half? yeah and he would
3: well that's yeah. part of the reason the Eagles fired
1: Clint Johns is because he would only do three mics on a kit They right. wanted to record and, and Don Henley could control every single element and, and of John. it and I just watched the Eagles documentary I, I, I do hate
2: too. the
4: Eagles oh there you go I it, have, what you know, do I you have, think of that
2: I was honestly, I was I've never been a fan of the Eagles like ever, Dude. but it's just like it was like a pretty intensely long documentary.
1: Like I've only I'm only halfway through. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell of it. I, I, I fucking hate, I, hate
2: I really enjoyed it. I was like, wow, that is that, yeah. is that is a band that's gone through it all.
4: Two, three, four. Boom.
1: Say like you have no uh, free will of your own, but I mean I I certainly didn't at that age. To the point with music, I mean I got to dismiss like Rolling Stone told me to, right? Uh, Rolling Stone told me that the only rock dinosaur that was worth listening to was the Who because you know they got it.
4: Right.
1: The Clash said it was okay.
4: Yeah.
1: You know, Um, I just think having that wealth of information maybe is tougher. But that being said, my own son is figuring out the divisions uh,
4: right.
1: on his own, so maybe I'm wrong.
2: And it's also kind of right. funny, because things that you thought were not cool, like in, in your time when it first came out, like, you know, now it's somehow being regurgitated into something that's really cool, like Phil Collins was never cool when he first came out, no one thought Phil Collins, I mean, I love Phil Collins, and I have like a really soft spot for him, but like, now it's like face value, everybody
3: looks. And I like yeah. Russia, I've always liked Russia, but now you know, now I can admit in public. Yeah. That's in was Did you? Did you grow up in Cairo?
2: Well, I not really. No, I grew up in Kuwait, which is where um, which is a tiny little country in the Gulf. Um, cause my dad, my parents worked there, so I, I grew up there. You know, lived there for sixteen years, and then. Went to college in Cairo. Went to the American University in Cairo, and then I worked there for a little bit until I decided you know, I wanted to get into audio. And I moved here.
3: Then you moved to the States.
2: Yeah, but I, you know I've always been. You know Egypt is so close to Kuwait that like you know we'd spend all of our summers in Egypt, and it, it was almost like being you know growing up in Egypt.
3: Right. Was that the Sadat era, or was that I don't know? But I think of I think of it how hard you know we. You know, growing up in, in, in Lexington or, or, you know, North Jersey or Montgomery County, Maryland, finding stuff, finding about, you know, finding about artists, finding about new music, and how it was a, kind of a constant stretch and claw.
4: Yeah.
3: In Kuwait, I would think it would be,
4: it was,
3: really, you had to really, really want it.
2: Man, there was nothing. Yeah. I mean. It was just like, you know, if I wanted to get, well, first of all, the, you know, there was no such thing that people weren't buying vinyl, that didn't even exist. And oh, the yeah. you know, in the 80s and the 90s, like, people were just like, vinyl was like a done medium, basically. Um, so it was all like just cassettes, and all the record stores back then were just your pure basic top 40 stuff, and like in the 90s when I started getting into like, you know, and then that turned into like Britpop, and then that turned into like shoegaze stuff, like, it was all like any friend that I had, like, first of all, finding out, like, uh, you know, learning about like a slow dive and wanting a slow dive record, my bloody balance. I had. But how did that even happen? Well, what happened was, after the first Gulf War, um, Kuwait went through this like massive, like, Westernization, kind of period where we finally got MTV, so that was an immediate exposition to everything. Um, and then we started getting like music magazines and more like you know, uh, you know, satellite channels where you get like you know, we, we had like you know, the Israeli channels which would play a lot of American movies, and, and then we started getting uh, more like. European channels like it was just a sudden influx of of, um, of uh, Western culture and so it was like whoa I want to learn more all about this um, right. and I went to a British high school in Kuwait so you know it was already pretty much heavily exposed to that stuff but um, it just the actual media and the entertainment aspect of it just really apex in, in the early 90s.
3: So, the first time you came to the States, the first time, I guess it would have been in Houston if they had one, I assume they did. You walk into like Tower Records and you just your head explodes. I mean, like, they'd be able to like buy whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the
2: first, I'm trying to remember the first time I walked into like a, I think it was like an FYE or something. Whatever. Like that, All oh, right, like this, this is the dorkiest thing ever. But I think, um, I, we, I used to, there was this one newsstand, and this was after, yeah, I was working in Egypt at that point and I, I was obsessive about getting Q magazine, it's this British, yes,
4: okay,
2: yeah. Q and Enemy. it was like that's, yeah, yeah. that's, those were the magazines, and there was this one newsstand, dude were always like make sure like he reserved my copies,
4: uh-huh.
2: beyond the fact that nobody really bought them, but they're, you know, they were, I always had like copies for me, and so one of, you know, every. Once in a while I'd make a trip to the United States to visit my brother or whatever. And I'd be like, All right, I need to get the Sex Pistols of Amanda Bullocks, okay, that's the record I need to get because like those are like, you know, top ten classic yeah. albums you have to buy and you have yeah. to listen to and you know, there was no way for me to really get them. So, I, you right. know, I just wait until I travel and look at my list and be like, oh, you know, The Who, I need to get that record. Yeah. Or like Jeff Buckley or something.
3: Do you have to buy like another suitcase to go back home? Like, Pretty much. Yeah. But
2: I just like, I do what the magazines told me to get. Right,
3: that's yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. Like at that stage, you're,
1: you're just like, tell me what to do.
2: Yeah, i am all yours. I mean,
3: yeah, so I'll many here. I have picked yeah. up because of that. Well, I mean, for me, it was probably like, Cream magazine. You know, like, uh, the first,
1: uh,
0: the first
4: uh, I, clutch, I read Cream you know. and Hit
1: Parader and it was like photocopies.
0: Right? It was so <laughs> cheap. I mean, well, I Stone. Like, I mean my, my local library got Rolling Stone and uh,
2: yeah.
0: I mean, it, it was like the Bible. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm heavily thumb.
0: Totally. So totally. I, I would go down there too. and read like the same issues over and, and over again. It was like it was that
1: newsprint. Yeah. And, like,
2: the big but it just it made everything out. so much more precious and-
1: Oh no
0: no! I mean, and you really real, had to
1: earn it. Like, yeah,
2: you earn you earn these things, you know. You you uh, you organize your record collection, you know. know. You
4: and you put things
2: like in specific order, like you know. I have my you know, Tori Amos CD. So I'm kind of the sensitive person against my like I don't know the Clash. Like oh look at me, I'm like, somewhat of a punk rock edge or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, that's funny because we were in outposts to certain degrees I mean you less so you absolutely you somewhat although you're closer to NYC but I mean there was one outlet in my town for getting this stuff, and I was the only person there. Oh, zero. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a farm town. And there was right. Nothing. Nothing there. Yeah. yeah. Nothing I at, at least all. had a, like an in indie record store in the 80s. It was like a corner that carried all the zines and all that yeah. stuff. And I, I was. You
2: know, I mean, I was the only kid in my entire high school that listened to indie music. Like, yeah. Right. The only. Like, it's
3: the lonely place to be. No,
2: no, no one else did. It was like, why are you listening to this weird, loud music? Like.
3: I remember being given shit in college my freshman year, like new wave shit. New yeah. You're to, you, know? yeah. Well, you know, I, I did not, gr- I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and it wasn't maybe the same outpost, but there was, I, I had my own sort of imposed outpost because I, my, if I if I came back with bad grades, my parents, knowing where to hurt me, wouldn't let me buy any records. <laughs> and there was a record store about still a mile work. away, uh, about a mile away called Record Lords, and they had a head-chop in the back and incense burning and my, my mom was already terrified of it but <laughs> i would sneak there oh my god and walk the mile and a half whatever it was and buy some i don't even like to think of what i bought like the risking life and limb for like a triumph record but whatever um and that would hide it in the shrubs I it was to my do parents like the, the bed things. i was sneaking inside <laughs> but to me same thing but that is that was what it was all about then. It's like, you know, it's almost like you're fighting this battle to have access yeah, to. There this. was nothing more important.
2: No, and yeah, it was nothing like your identity, and, works, and exactly. it, it was just like your, your one time in the day where you're like, oh, finally I'm just.
1: I mean, I'm me. I'm yeah. me, and this
2: band understands me, and you look through the artwork and the sleeve, and you study it, and you know it inside totally out. Yeah. Totally. I like, remember
1: listening to half of Hollow and sitting there, I was literally like, it was almost, it's funny when I think about it, it was like, it was like uh, praying almost. Like my bed would be there, and wow. I'd sit on my knees with my headphones on, and I'd have the, the the record, you yeah. know, "Eightfold Sleep" spread out. Yeah. I'd sit there and read them as it like was going through. I'm like, oh my God, Morrissey
3: knows me.
2: It's a it's just <laughs> yeah. the well, most wonderful he knows all experience.
3: Yeah. well,
4: yeah. Well, that, yeah. And
3: that and that's sort of what leads. And that we were talking with the Ian, and it was like, we're lifers. No matter what happens. No matter how much or little or no or money we we're we're gonna be doing this for the rest of our lives. And that's probably when it became obvious when I was sneaking to record lords, I was I was terrified of my parents. Yeah. I, just, I mean I still sort of yeah. bustle. Are we all They're all like th- kick their ass, but you know, but at the time I and uh, yeah, and I and I I knew then this yeah. is this is sticking for a while, you know. Whatever I do as a career and it may not be this and it hasn't been that this is not ever going away. Right. It's not a phase, it's not.
0: Are you a musician, you?
2: Uh I mean, I grew up playing classical piano for about nine or 10 years, uh, and then, you know, kind of left that for a minute, and then taught myself how to play guitar. I mean, I dabble, I wouldn't call myself like a musician. Um, I'm, I
3: wouldn't I'm call s- David a musician.
2: So <right>. I'm a terrible songwriter I get frustrated by the songwriting process. I have good ideas maybe like you know I'll come up with like a cool riff or but then I just get exasperated by the process of trying to make that riff within a context sound cool um, so yeah, yeah. That, that to me that's I, I, so songwriting it's... is like something that like just nobody can do that
3: we talked you know that. about that you know how, how, how it's just it's not. An yeah. kind of inspirational thing. It's just a, it's just work. You work it and you work it and yeah. then you have a breakthrough and then you work on the next thing.
4: We well, yeah, remember right. that
1: you watched the Eagles documentary. Remember yeah. that thing about Glenn Pride living upstairs above Jackson Brown right. and him listening okay. to Jackson Brown's and then he yeah. kettle and then get right. up and play first chords, first first scores first like realizing, oh, you have to work at it. It's, yeah. Not, yeah. Like it's going, not like sitting in a car just like it's waiting just for call you the not a lightning. Yeah, yeah. 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 You told me that. That's the thing I always think of I said. Uh, you know, pressing you on stuff and, and asking you know, working some new things. This years ago, I remember where I was in my kitchen before we had our you know the renovation or whatever. Walking around, pacing as I always do, and you're like, it's not like inspiration. It's like it's pounding nails into boards, you know. And some are gonna suck and some aren't. And like...
4: Yeah,
2: I mean, it's definitely like the songwriting is a is. Beyond the fact, though, like, it's, you know, this beautiful little art form, it's something, like you said, that you have to work at, and yeah, after a while, like, the process of working through it, you build a confidence. I've never really been able to get to that point, because I get, you know, I just sort of dabbled in all these other little things, but it's like, yeah, it's definitely something that you devote your your, your life and your your heart and soul into, and it's like, after a while, like you get better and you create a sense of confidence and you create your own formula, I guess, and things click into you know into place and you're like, oh, okay, I can I can work with this.
3: Well, look, everybody, anybody that you can think of who's good at something sucked at it at first. Right. You know, if you're if you're, I mean, that's the reason I don't write fiction because I can't get past I can't get past that. For part like I I don't get that, I just I'm frustrated. I'm you know I haven't tried for years. The point yeah. is, you have to sort of accept and you start. Little tiny tiny victories and use them to motivate yourself because it's very hard. And I'm sure that's when you so started, true. So many things. What? Like, it, 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 I do that
1: with my job, like myself. It's a little blast of confidence this valid Yeah. Or not just everything. to
3: just when to you started an engineering. Moving.
4: Yeah.
3: When you started mastering. You're like, I don't get this. It's cool, but I don't. Really. Oh yeah.
2: I mean, it's many a complete mystery. many nights of frustration, you know, after hours trying to figure out how to make this mix sound better, and it's like. Um, I think the aha moment for me when I finally felt like, oh wow, I'm starting to really get good at this was when, you know, when you first start out, you don't get great mixes. Like, you get these shitty mixes, you know, and you're like, you know, just people who are just kind of trying you out. And you have to figure out all these ways and how to maneuver around this mix and how to make it sound better and how to shape the vocal better and, you know, make the snare pop and, you know. Um, and then finally, when I got to a point where I was getting amazing mixes, that's when I knew, like, oh, I don't have to work as hard now. Like, you know, it's, it's, well, I don't want to say work as hard, but it's just like the experience, the learning experience of knowing what to do and, and when you should do something to a mix um, got me to a point where when a mix is really fantastic, that less is more. Like that, you really don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you know, fix things. Right. Um, that that's kind of when I started to feel like, oh, I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere because I'm really understanding what I need to do now.
3: And you were getting those good you, mixes probably because you were improving. So people want people who had better mixes were actually coming to you. Or huh. first, yeah. you're untested, so you're getting some shit mixes because yeah. that's the only people who are like, well, you know. Well, I
2: was basically like, dude, I'll master your record for free. Just right. give me a exact, shot, right. basically. Kind and of then thing.
3: you're getting better. You're yeah. getting. It's sort of kind it's like, of funny. as you get more skilled, yeah. you don't have to exert as much energy because you're getting better raw material. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. I mean, you have to work your ass off.
3: And,
2: you know, finally, it's. I mean, really, at some point, like somebody will have a great experience with you, and then they'll tell someone else, like, "Oh, you know, I mastered with so and so, you should try them out," and and that's kind of how it sort of builds. And it's like, um, yeah, it's 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 a process for yeah. sure. Just like everything is like. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah everything
1: is oh 100% so we were hoping to go over to uh, Brooklyn Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and maybe try to learn a few just kidding <laughs> uh, it's like whoa yeah. that's ambitious he's just looking
2: at the intent. Post-
1: it,
3: it, it probably already he sees that Brooklyn Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Brazil, yeah. I don't know what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is well
1: yeah exactly like that's the funny Marshall part
3: or... I know what Brazilian is and I know Jiu Jitsu oh, is.
2: like is hey for forget them. about yeah um, I mean I I I, I, I think Kung of
3: for a
1: while and, and that was like an amazing
4: yeah.
3: amazing art to learn. Oh yeah? yeah. I'm yeah. A belt. What? This? Not just no, no,
4: fucking Fu. like, Oh really? Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm a yellow, yellow belt Yeah. I'm
3: a yellow belt. I'm, I'm gonna get my red belt soon. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Are you serious? I have a yellow belt, James. Oh. Give me a yellow belt. Yeah, nice. But I gotta take this other test for a red belt. And nice. then I will and then I will not be fucked. With Can it I say ever. you're you yellow? Can I say it like in the old Western yeah. yeah, Whatever you want.
1: You're
4: yellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, right, cool.
1: water. Oh, yeah. Well, we can, um, yeah, just, uh, it seems like a logical sort of stopping point, which doesn't mean we're like, don't, we can't finish. No, our no, it's out. yeah. But yeah, thanks. Thank Have a I
4: saw you. Synaptic impulse out of that you could be missed where no light entered before. I was bathed in luminescent skin where I
3: fled. Hustlers backyard down